I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3. Happy Monday night. Great news, everybody. There was a guy in the chat on Sunday Night Show was very worried that we were jumping the gun on Mike Elko to Texas A&M because, you know, some people jumped the gun on Mark Stoops to Texas A&M. We didn't do that, though. So happy to report that Texas A&M officially introduced Mike Elko as its head coach on Monday. We feel very vindicated here at Andy Staples on 3. I hope that commenter is now less worried. Hope so. Glad we got that squared away. Little more coaching carousel on Monday. Rick Stockstill fired at Middle Tennessee State after what feels like a million years. He was the fourth longest tenured head coach in the FBS. So that job is now open. Murfreesboro, a lovely place to live. I think there'll be some, some good applicants for that job. But it does seem to be slowing down a little bit. Duke's got to make a hire now. We're still waiting on Indiana. But we're having a little bit of a lull in the coaching carousel. And then the next wave will come as new coaches fill out their staffs and players from schools that coaches just left or coaches are headed to start to enter the transfer portal. There's going to be a lot of news. But... This is a week of very important games. It's championship week, and we got a pick show for you today. Patrick Maher, the host of Sharp Money on the Vegas Sports and Information Network, will join us to educate all of us, especially me, on what the numbers actually mean, the spreads, the totals, and what the key points are. Like when you see a line moving, where should you pay special attention? Patrick is great about that stuff, great at breaking it down. If Even if you're not a gambler, he will help you better understand how this stuff works. And I do think it's important to know how it works. And I think that the spread as a way of looking at the matchups and as a way of looking at the game's history is important, whether you whether or not you put money on the games. I think that stuff is very educational. So we'll talk to Patrick about that shortly. But first, Jim Harbaugh is back on the field this week at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh coaching the Wolverines against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. Obviously, Michigan's a heavy favorite. They should be able to win this game. I was at Jim Harbaugh's press conference on Monday. He's very happy to be back. He's nominating Michigan men. Whole lot going on. Clayton Safey from the Wolverine joined me on a very snowy day in Ann Arbor to talk about what Jim Harbaugh said, what Sharon Moore said, and where the Wolverines are as they head into a week where Jim Harbaugh is back on the sidelines. Joined by Clayton Safey from a snowy Ann Arbor in front of a snow-covered Bo Schimbeckler. Clayton, what do you think? What do you think Bo would have said about Jim Harbaugh's declaration? He called it a nomination that yeah. Sharon Moore is now a Michigan man. And I said the, um, the coaches, the staff, you know, especially – 
uh, Coach Jerome Moore, uh, you know, called a great game, coached the offensive line, and uh, and made the decisions as the head coach. And, and I, I'm not saying that I'm in a position of of uh, granting who a Michigan man is or who isn't, or who a Michigan legend is or or is not, not the maker of of those two lists, but uh, I have nominated people before, and I nominate uh, Sharon Moore uh, as, a, as a Michigan legend. He's been nominated, so someone has to confirm, is that the Supreme Court or, or the Washtenaw County Court? Well, I mean, how do you they, they didn't go to the Washtenaw County Court when they had the chance. That's they, true. They decided not to. That's true. We know how they ruled on the vacuum cleaners, but that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's a whole HOA. I hate HOAs, so. Well, it doesn't, everyone. So, but it, it is interesting because Sharon Moore – when you think about it, his place in Michigan lore is secure. Yeah. There obviously is probably going to be some more to Sharon Moore in Michigan's story. But the fact that he, as the acting coach, beats Ohio State mm-hmm. in the way that he did with keeping the promise to call the most aggressive game anybody's ever seen. Like, yeah. That, if you're going to do it, that's how you do it. So we talked after the Penn State game, and then there was the Maryland game, and there were a lot of complaints from the Michigan fans. And I even thought there were a couple of points, especially Maryland, that they called it a little bit too conservatively. And it was like, okay, Sharon's got a lot on his plate. You know, he's the head coach. There's pressure on him. Like, he's got to win these games. That may have been a blessing in disguise because that week when he's sitting there like, okay, we got to call it a little bit more aggressively. And it's Ohio State. Like he said on Saturday, I mean, they've been preparing for this, and they've had calls ready for this all year. I mean, you're working on stuff in fall camp that you probably have an idea is going to come for this game. So the fourth downs, I mean, absolutely massive. And you compare that with how Ryan Day called the game for Ohio State, and it was a little bit different, a little bit more. I'm not going to say scared people, Ohio State fans are that I've seen right. on, on Twitter. It's I've really seen a the couple one calls. situation at the end of the half that yes. felt that way, but everything else felt fairly normal sure. for an Ohio State game. Sure. And I think people are kind of going back to last year when it was a little more. They thought he should have gone for a couple of fours. But regardless, the way Michigan did it, um, the way Sharon Moore did it, and we just talked off air about this, but when you're the guy making the call that you're going to go for fourth and then you are the one making the play call, you know, that could be a pretty dynamic, you know, combo right Yeah, there. you have to make – because a lot of times when, when you have a more traditional situation with a, with a head coach who makes the big-picture decisions and a coordinator who then calls the plays, the head coach gives the yay or nay – Right on the and, and of course the play caller has the play ready to go if you if the head coach says yes mm-hmm. but you have to make the yay or nay decision and then have the specific play ready in that situation which he did and and you know th- there are some good play calling head coaches out there Mike Norvell at Florida State's in mm-hmm. position to maybe make the playoff mm-hmm. uh, we've seen Lincoln Riley do it but there's also some people who've not been able to handle both roles right and it's impressive that he's been able to do it it's just his fourth game as a head coach yeah. um, so. And, and like you said, I don't think the history's here over. I think Sharon Moore will probably be Michigan's next head coach, whether that's next year and, or in five years. Well, and w- let's talk about that because we, Jim Harbaugh is back this week. He's going to be coaching the team yep. on the field at the Big Ten Championship game and then beyond as, as they go into mm-hmm. post, the rest of the postseason. But for Sharon Moore, obviously what people saw on Saturday and, and really the previous weeks, mm-hmm. he's ready to be the head coach of a big-time college football program right now i don't know that there's even a job out there that would be worth looking at when you are potentially in line to get michigan i agree his name's been thrown out there by indy uh for indiana by you know some national guys or whatever and i think that's fair like you're indiana you give him a call absolutely if you're anyone with an opening at at a you know power five right now maybe not like a an a&m or whatever obviously but 
um, you know, the Twitter people would just kind of veto that anyway. But if you're in Indiana, you give him a call. But I agree with you. I mean, he loves it here. He came here in, in 2017 and has just rise, you know, risen and risen yeah. and risen to now this point where he was the head coach for Michigan, Ohio State. And I think he understands probably what's what's in the future, or at least wants to wait out a couple more well, years. Well, I would at least wait out this offseason because yes. th- there's a lot of factors at play. You've got Jim Harbaugh has tried to get an NFL job the last two years. There are going to be multiple NFL openings that Jim Harbaugh might actually be an attractive candidate for. Yeah. And then you've also got the NCAA stuff. Mm-hmm. You've got you know, what will happen in terms of the first case, which is not closed yet. Right. And then the sign-stealing case, which is still – very much open. Yeah. So if, if they get into a situation where there's a suspension that's long enough that you can't keep either can't keep Jim Harbaugh or he's almost not there, mm-hmm. well, you've got Sharon Moore. You do. And I think that's probably the route they will go. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of down the road at, at this point, even a little bit. It's funny when. Well, so- that, I mean, that that science stealing thing, you think about the case, like the, the Bill Self case lasted six years. So we don't know that that's going to resolve in the offseason. It's expedited. It seems like the way it's unprecedentedly expedited, if that's a word. Um, But you still could take a while. I mean, you could still look at court cases coming out of this if they decide to go. Yeah. uh, That sort of thing. So So let's talk Jim Harbaugh. He's back. He said he never left last night. Well, (laughs) but he wasn't there. Yeah, I know. He wasn't there on Saturday. He's back. But, But. it, we, as we talked about, Sharon Moore calls the offensive plays. Yeah. Jesse Mentor calls the defensive plays. This is a person coming back to make the big picture mm-hmm. decisions. Do you think that changes? It certainly sounded from Jim, what Jim Harbaugh said, like that Sharon Moore made big picture decisions very much how Jim Harbaugh feels like he would have made them in the same situation. Yeah. So I think they're, I mean, Jim Harbaugh's been, especially the last few years, early on in his tenure, a little bit more conservative. And I think probably a lot of that had to do with some of the personnel not quite being yet what they wanted. But last few years, he's been aggressive. Like, yeah. I think, I was saying this during the game too, I think he would have gone for those. Oh. I think they would have ran basically the same stuff. Yeah. And I, I think, I've always felt that, that he's a very much analytically forward, you know, when when the book says go, you're going kind of person yeah for sure and when he feels like there was a they went for for fourth and one I think at Wisconsin in 2021 from their own like 34 on the opening drive of the game and someone asked him after what what made you go for that he said just a look in our players eyes so he also he goes off both I think well and that's what he was saying I you know I asked him about Sharon Moore and and when in the process of getting to know Sharon Moore did he feel like he'd be ready for this obviously you're never ready for what they they've had in the past month or so right but if you had to have someone else do it, he clearly had him in mind as the person who, and I said, what, what was it? And he said, he trusts the players and the mm-hmm. players trust him. And I thought you saw a perfect example of that in the first half with the three, fourth downs. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Um, and, and it did feel like it was pretty obvious that he was, he was going to tap Sharon more in this job. And it felt like pretty obvious what they were going to do in a lot of those situations was going to be what Jim Harbaugh would have done. And like he said, it's exactly how he would have called it. Um, and it felt like Jim Harbaugh's team on Saturday, even though he wasn't here. Um, so they, they've got to play Iowa. They have to win this game to, to get in the college football playoff, probably. They're going to be heavily favored. Yep. Do you think, though, is this the calmest week of the past month and a half? Oh, yeah. It oh, feels, yeah. probably feels like the most normal. We're, we're watching the guys go into the facility behind us, but I'd imagine it feels like the most normal they've had in a while. Yeah, sounds like the NCAA terms of their investigation has backed off for a little bit which makes sense i mean it was thanksgiving last week and the biggest game of the year now you move on big 10 championship we may not have been if they lose that game we were not standing here 
Um, you know, and now it's like, okay, we can we can go into a regular game week. They got have their coach back, and they're familiar with this spot too. Going yeah. to Indy, you know, the first time they did this, a lot of people were asking, how are they going to come down from this emotional high? Feels more normal this year beating Ohio State. Like even from a fan base perspective, talking to people. Now that I think they're ready for the next challenge, and they know that fifteen and zero is kind of the more the goal. Well, and also this is their third time doing this. They're right. guys who've who've only seen this their entire career, so this is this becomes normal. Right. This is the new normal. You'd have to be a fifth year yeah. senior at Michigan to have lost to Ohio State at this point. Yeah, it's I, I'm hearing a lot of that from both sides of the rivalry. And of, you'd have to be a fifth year senior it, it, at Ohio State it, to exactly. Be so, uh, yeah, it, it feels like they're they're ready to go. That they're probably not going to be any surprises this week I, I i realize as i say that given what's happening it's not gonna six, age well yeah. so but we'll see it's it's ann arbor it's snowy clayton safety bo Beckler. blocking and tackling is what it comes down to that's what bo would have said so you know what came down to that bo's right yeah. bo's exactly right <laughs> and you know jim harbaugh with the further bo quotage the team the team the team yeah he said this is the team Incredible speech. I asked about that on Saturday when some of the guys were talking about it. I mean, and they said every coach came up and gave that speech. I mean, this this feels as much of, of like that as, as possible. And it seems like there are always things that go on throughout a season or whatever. But once you get to that week last week, everybody comes together. You just want to play your role or whatever. Like if you're a Donovan Edwards, you're not going to be Blake Corum on Saturday, even though you were the legend mm-hmm. the year before. But it seems like everyone buys in. And that's what they need the rest of the way is everyone kind of starring in their roles as they'll go forward. Cause I think this team does have a shot to, to win the whole thing. You know, Clayton, they say those who stay will be champions. I, I standing here, those who stay will be cold. So we're going to go it's get true. warm. Sure. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Thank you to Clayton Safey and the Bo Schimbecker statue for that wonderful segment that I can look back upon now and be glad because I am in the warmth. Again, I'm not built for cold. If you hadn't noticed that already, I'm not built for cold. Next up, we got the picks. Patrick Maher from the Vegas Sports and Information Network joins us. But first, let me tell you about FanDuel. Go to fanduel.com slash staples and get yourself signed up. It is the easiest way to wager on all the games, all the lines and the totals that we're going to talk about with Patrick. You get them from FanDuel. We'll, We'll talk about a lot of very interesting lines this week. So go to fanduel.com slash staples. If you make a $5 winning money line bet, so basically you bet on that team to win and they win $5, you will get $150 in guaranteed bonus bets. So go to fanduel.com slash staples. You can play you know, full games, spread, totals, first quarter, spread and total. Half halftime spread and total. These are things that the and Patrick's going to explain to you why they matter so much, and especially in some of these games, like the Big Ten Championship is one that Michigan Iowa game. You know, we always pick the Iowa total, but the first quarter total, the first half total, those things may matter quite a bit. You may find some value in there 
this week. So go to FanDuel.com slash Staples, get yourself signed up, make a $5 winning money line bet, and get $150 in guaranteed bonus bets at FanDuel, the best sports book in America. On to the picks. For our final pick show of the season, I've been saving this one. I've been saving this one. Patrick Maher from the Vegas Sports and Information Network, Sharp Money. That's the show he hosts. If you have not listened in, you're missing out. And here's the deal. The reason I brought Patrick on is because he's the one who started helping me figure out how all this stuff worked, point spreads, parlays, totals, all that stuff. Because I used to go on his show back when he worked on Mad Dog Radio at Sirius XM, and I worked on the college channel. And and Patrick would bring me on because Patrick went to South Carolina, is from Michigan. We'll get into how you wound up in Columbia. But wanted to talk some college football, and he's on a channel where they're like, what about the Jets? (laughs) (laughs) Well, also – I wanted, if you remember, and thanks for having me, Andy, I, I remember maybe we can settle down a little bit because I saw last night you were getting loose and fighting with literally everybody on Twitter. We just need to yes. take a breath, take a step back. Okay. Now, I remember, and this is a long time ago. We're talking like 15, 16, 17, when you used to come on the show. And I was, I was a degenerate then. That's before the proliferation of legalization and fan duels and DraftKings, of course. I was a degenerate, so I brought you on, and I'm like, dude, okay, so I understand Texas, Oklahoma State, but let's start talking about the number here. And you're like, gosh, you're obsessed with these lines. You're obsessed with the lines. And then a couple years later, as we saw the momentum starting to kind of ominously come over the hill there, you were starting to talk point spreads as well, so I was very proud of you. Well, and and the thing is, even as that was coming, and I live in a state which is kind of – slow on the uptake on all all this stuff but i realized how educational it is like spreads as a historical document are very interesting how coaches perform against the spread how particular programs perform against the spread how how a team in one particular rivalry may perform against the spread and that's the one thing you know listening to you and talking to the some of the guys that you bring on like it's it's interesting how history matters with this stuff even as the people change. Let's use an example. And so much about sports betting is it's a puzzle and it comes down to the number and betting the right number. Timing, I always say timing, Andy, and temperament. Timing, Mm -hmm. timing the market and temperament, not to get too crazy when you go on a losing streak. We call it going on tilt. You don't want to get crazy and start chasing cash. So timing and temperament, but also I always joke with people like you who know more about the sport than I'll ever know. Oftentimes, those are the worst betters because there's paralysis and knowing too much about these teams. It's almost suggestive. Like you and I would always fight about the head coaches. People understand that Andy Staples on three. He has relationships with all these dudes. Now, he has to keep a separation there, but there's a relationship. So sometimes you can fall into a suggestive trap. Let's use two games as as an example for championship week to kind of start with the number. You do realize that Oregon, of course, in Washington, Allegiant Stadium on Friday night, you do realize that number's up to nine and a half. I I do. And it's been it was was a six and a half four weeks ago when they started putting out preliminaries. 
This number closed at Washington. This number closed three. And of course, mm -hmm. Washington won by three. And we can talk about how we got here. I was talking weeks ago, maybe a month ago, because we could kind of see this coming, potentially a rematch in the Pac-12 championship game. And I think everybody wanted it because most people have Georgia and Oregon as their two best in the country. And then we can start talking about Michigan and Washington and Texas. But this game in particular, I was talking to a, a, a guy that runs a book in Vegas. And I said, if these two teams were to play again, what would you make the number? And he said, honestly, I'm going to make it a touchdown. And I said, you lost your freaking mind. You're going to make this a touchdown? There's no chance. Not only is it a touchdown, we're almost to doubles. That's an insane overcorrection. That's a, what, 12-and-a-half point overcorrection or correction from where we sat October 13th when they played at Washington. That's a ridiculous line move. So let's talk about this game, though, because if we've been watching the teams play since they played, Washington right. has lived dangerously practically every week. Oregon has just routed everybody they've played. And I feel like that's where everybody's coming from, that they feel like, OK, there were these three fourth down plays in this game. If Oregon gets any one of those, they win the game. And so if they play again in a on a neutral site and everything else is equal, they're probably going to get one of those. But then that doesn't explain the line because they still wouldn't cover <laughs> this number. No, the, 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 I'm going to tell you right now, before we even talk about the analysis, I will be taking the nine and a half. Now, I'm looking at the market, and I have a live screen while we're doing the show. I'm looking at the market right now, and every, we call it blanket. So everybody's sitting nine and a half. DraftKings yesterday was sitting nine. I think we might see a 10. Understand when betting, there are key numbers. Three mm -hmm. is the key number when betting. The probability of these games landing on three is higher than any other number that goes both for college and the NFL. And then you get to seven, then you get to six, then you get to up to tens. Okay. And I'm looking right now. I think we could see a 10 in this matchup, which is ludicrous. At that point, it's principle. I'm betting the number. Okay. We can talk about washington being outgained by washington state and outgained by oregon state and giving up 515 to usc tina no their last 19. last year they went to eugene and beat oregon when oregon was ranked 6 37 34. oh by the way washington and i don't know how they're doing it andy okay they're pulling it out of their whatever but they beat texas in the bowl game last year DeBoer is a hell of a coach. I'm not. There is no chance I'm laying almost doubles with Oregon in this matchup. And I think Oregon's the better team. Be clear. Yeah. Well, and, and this is what I keep coming back to with Washington and Oregon is I almost don't care what's happened in between. I, I picked Oregon the first time around because I thought Oregon was the better team. I still think Oregon is the Me better too. team. But I'm, I, I'm a big styles make fights guy, and I feel like – Washington can still score on Oregon just like they did last time. I think Oregon can win this game, but I I have a hard time buying winning by double digits. Like that 100%. that's that's tough. So, I'm with you. I I think Oregon's going to win the Pac-12. I think Oregon might is going to make the playoff. I think Washington's going to cover. 100%. There's no I mean, and I want to use Georgia after we get done with this one. I want to use Georgia and Alabama just because the contrast or juxtaposition yeah. of the number if you don't mind after this game but let's stick on this game just for a little bit i mean it's it's ridiculous when the guy told when the bookmaker told me he was going to lay seven with oregon in a rematch now this is a month and a half ago 
ridiculous. I assumed it would be four and a half Oregon, just to give you an idea. Now, that's not my true number. My assumption was this game was going to be four and a half, five. To almost be sitting 10 right now, that's a disrespect that I haven't seen in a while. You, you want to take a stab at the total? Right now, we're looking at 67 on the total. Of course, 69 points were scored in October. I actually do like the first half over. The first mm-hmm. half over is, excuse me, the first half total is 33 and a half. Remember, and that matchup earlier this year, they slowed down in the second half as far as scoring. Well, and, and, was, and so... So have the the matchups since then. Like you go back to Washington, Utah. Washington gives up a ton of points in the first half. Utah doesn't even score in the second half. Like it it definitely feels like Washington's defense settles in and figures some stuff out. I do think there's a little bit. And again, we all love Lanning. I know Mm -hmm. you love Lanning. There's no reason to believe the guy's not going to be a superstar. And by the way, I think he's going to stay at Oregon. Uh, But the coaching advantage is DeBoer. DeBoer and if – you can discuss this. I'm sure you talked about it here on three. Uh, the it, That was the difference for a lot of people. The in-game decisions in October, it felt like Lanning tightened up a bit. DeBoer's not going to tighten up. DeBoer went for it on fourth and short on his own 29 just this past Saturday. Like, he's got a good feel of well, his but, but remember, the, the, first, the first game was Lanning going for it on fourth down three times and not getting it any of the three. And again, any one of those, they win, especially the last one. The last one, they just take knees if they get it. If I'm landing, I would do the same thing over again. And they're going to win this time if they do that. Like, they're they're not going to go 0 for 6 in those situations across two games. It's not going to happen. So, But you brought me on to talk about betting. And that all I'm trying to tell you is I think Oregon's the better team. And I think Oregon wins this football game. I think they win. So I'm looking at potentially getting 10 points. So again, it'll be interesting because when these numbers open, they get manipulated. And so mm-hmm. by the time, and most of the public, Andy, 90% of the public is going to bet five minutes before this game kicks off on Friday. It'll right. just be interesting as we sit here on a Monday, how the number gets manipulated up until Friday. I'll, it'll be fascinating because it'll go up, it'll go down. Yep. I'll be curious. As soon as it hits 10, sharp money, the sharp bettors, professional bettors will immediately buy it. And that means they'll immediately start betting Washington and then it'll mm-hmm. drop back down to nine and a half. That's why timing is so important. here. And this, this is why I had you on. Now, the other reason I had you on is to talk about games like New Mexico State and Liberty in the Conference USA Championship game. No, I, I will tell you right now, there, there are a few people out there who maybe have watched these teams play quite a bit. Most people have not. Most people watch New Mexico State beat Auburn, and they may have caught Liberty on a couple weeknight games. This is not a game where, where you're going to get a ton of expert analysis. So that's what I, and I know you guys get calls every day, not just on, on college games like this, but on all kinds of different sporting events where you're being asked, to evaluate these numbers without a lot of team information. This one's interesting too, because Liberty has been a favorite of at least 10 and a half. So we're sitting right now on a Monday morning, we're sitting New Mexico state Liberty. You know, I'm seeing an 11 in the market, 10 and a half mostly and 54 on the total. The 
let me see now. The three times, at least 10 and a half point favorite or more, Liberty is two wins. So they're two and three. They've been favored at least 10 and a half or more five times. They're two and three ATS. That gives you an idea. Liberty is a dominant team in conference. But this, these post spreads are ridiculous. They're just two and three with a number this big. I would say the first, my initial blush on this game, uh, New Mexico State more of an under team this year. But Liberty, uh, they've gone over – seven of 11 so uh, that total is specifically i immediately i thought my first blush was over the 54 felt like i had written down 57 as far as my number but again these are teams you haven't seen you haven't seen them play so you immediately just start dissecting the number yeah and and so here here's the deal jerry kill new mexico state kind of been through everything seen everything again just went to auburn and went 31 to 10. Crazy. This is a yeah, this is a this is a very well coached team. They're very sound. They're gonna play against a team that their offense is based around the triple option. Now, here here's the thing: when you have a sound, well coached defense playing against a triple option concept type team, you would expect a lower scoring output from that triple option type team because you're fundamentally sound. You're going to hit the people you're supposed to hit every play, and you're going to make them work to score. That's what I think happens in this game. That's why I feel like that number is very high. And to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, they played a funky offense in Jacksonville State, yeah. and I think it combined for 30. Wasn't that 2017? Yeah, I yeah. think that combined. Let me just see. Yeah, 2017, so 37. I don't know. I wrote down 57 when this game first opened. I to be honest with you, I'm always looking to take a number. So if I were to bet this game, I'll probably, and that's another thing for your listeners, it's okay to lay off a game. If I were to bet this and there's a question, I'm always going to take a big number like 10 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, here's the deal. We, let me throw another wild card at you. I don't know how this makes you feel. So Diego Pavia, the quarterback at New Mexico state, if you saw that Auburn game, you know, this dude's a little bit swaggy, um, very swaggy. Video came out of him uh, urinating on the New Mexico logo inside of New Mexico's practice facility before they played New Mexico. That's the type of person we're dealing with. That's <laughs> th this man has no regard for human life. This is <laughs> this is going to be wild. And Caden Salter on the other side, pretty good quarterback for Liberty. Yes. But you got a dude who will do that before a rivalry game. Lord only knows what he does before a conference championship game. Hey, by the way, Liberty's got a pretty good coach. Would you agree? Oh, Jamie Chadwell's fantastic. Uh, I, I believe uh, I sang his praises quite a bit you when did. I've been on with you when he was at Coastal Carolina. And uh, you as a South Carolina grad should understand the, the achievement of winning at North Greenville and at Charleston Southern and at Coastal Carolina. So, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Jamie Chadwell. I do think he's, you know, he's – he was in the mix at, at Mississippi State. He decided to, to stay at Liberty. They pay him really well. He's in a good spot. He's, he's got the, the most resources of any team in the conference, which is not what he had at Coastal. So, I, yeah, I think this is a great coaching matchup because I, I love Jerry Kill. I, you, know, you know Jerry oh, Kill. Northern old school, Illinois, big Minnesota, <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, if he hadn't had the seizure disorder, he's probably still coaching at Minnesota. You know, it, it – this is this is a guy who knows what he's doing. So I can't wait to see these two guys go at it. 
Well, the reason I brought up Jamie Chadwell is I don't know, and you're from South, people don't know that Andy Staples is from South Carolina. He's from Columbia. And first off, it's Greenville, not Greenville. So let's correct that. And secondly, I don't know if there's any news out of Columbia, but have we heard an announcement about Shane Beamer? Shane Beamer's fine. No, Jamie Chadwell is the answer in Columbia. And let me explain <laughs> why. This is year three, and the way he comports himself is just embarrassing. Now, this hiring uh, cycle already, Jonathan Smith at Michigan State, freaking home run. You and I talked about that. Felt like the right fit. Mike Alco, I can't believe the Stoops dalliance. Alco to A&M only makes sense. Levy to Mississippi State, which is the worst job in the SEC. Beamer, year three, five and seven. I, I don't know about you. And I know you like Beamer, but the third year after that kind of the recruiting cycle, year three is a big year for these college coaches. And to take a step back like this, uh, not a great look for Shane Beamer. No, it's not. And, and but you kind of knew it was going to happen in that division. You know, Kentucky was was maybe going to be a little bit better, but you, you didn't think they were going to beat Clemson again. So, yeah, I. Go ahead. There, give me more excuses. Go ahead. I how, about no him excuses. Throwing, how about him throwing his, his his literal players under the bus repeatedly throughout the season? Well, that right. That, and, and there's no excuse for any of that. And he will start next season on the hot seat, just like Billy Napier will at Florida. And Shane, I think, understands that. And yes, Jamie Chadwell pulling out of the Mississippi State search. My first thought was, okay, is he waiting for Beamer if Beamer gets oh, really? fired next year? Yeah. So... There's also the way Mac Brown ended the season. And I know he said he's coming back, but does that change after the way they lost to NC state? It, it doesn't sound like it's, it's happening, but that's another one that you gotta, you gotta wonder about. Cause again, Jamie Chadwell, all his experience before was in, in the state of South Carolina. But if you can work in South Carolina, you can also work in North Carolina. And if that job opened up, that's something I think Jamie Chadwell would probably be very interested in. So uh, yeah, I, I hate, I know the Liberty fans hate this because that's when Hugh freeze was there. All of, all of the talk was what's Hugh freeze's next step. He goes to Auburn. It'll be the same way with Jamie Chadwell until he finally gets that power five job. With all due respect, starting a sentence with, I know the Liberty fans dot, dot, dot. Let's be fair. Okay. Let's be fair. It's Liberty. They're, they're uh, a very small, but passionate group, Patrick. I, 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 they, they reach out. Every time I mention Jamie Chadwell, they're like, he's not leaving. I was like, okay. He's not let's leaving. talk about, let, let's, I, I want to, we're going to talk the AAC and I want to talk about that because I actually do believe. Yeah. Now, Willie Fritz is a monster. Mm -hmm. However, he's a little bit older. He, yes. he would be great at one of these big jobs. But Rep Lashley is going to get one of them, right? Mm -hmm. And he's 40 yes. years old, two years at SMU. And what I like about Lashley, and by the way, this number sitting four, four and a half, SMU yep. catching. I love, I, I made this a pick -em. A pick -em is essentially even. So yep. is even. I, I love SMU catching points in this matchup. Now, again, whether or not Preston Stone goes injured against Navy, that's a question. But Kevin Jennings, who filled in, actually played it played pretty well this year when he did in some spot times. Now, here's the thing about Lashley. You think about him as an offensive guy. They're 8-0 in conference. The key to SMU this year, Andy, has been their defense. They have an elite secondary also a great pass rush. And Tulane, while a running team last year, obviously, Tajay Spears, Michael Pratt's very good. He's not good when he's pressured. And this will be by far 
the best pass rush that Pratt faces this year and two um, of his best weapons didn't play last week, that being Keys and Jackson. So I, I'm not sure why this number. I'm guessing it's the quarterback questions for SMU. But as I look right now, just to give you an idea on the market, we can take a look, and it's sitting still, I think, four, four and a half. I love SMU in this spot. Yeah, it's four right now, DraftKings. Yeah. And, and if, you look at, if you look at SMU, they, they played tough in Norman, that, that game was never all that close, but they never let it get out of control, did not let Oklahoma explode on them. Uh, I don't know how they lost to TCU looking back, but they've yeah. won every game since then, and they, they've definitely been been scoring in bunches. So I, I like this too. By the way, I, I, I don't know if I ever made clear who I'm picking in the, uh, in the Conference USA championship game. I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, New Mexico State to cover. I think Liberty still wins, but I'll take New Mexico State to cover in that one. Yeah, um, that's a layoff for me. But like I said, if I had to pick it, I'd take the ten and a half. For some reason, my number was high as far as the over under. We call them totals. I, I, that yep. was high for me. But I think the funky offense angle from you is a good job. Do you like the SMU play here? I again, I, I like I it. Pick them. I do because here's the thing with Tulane until that UTSA game. Tulane had been living fairly dangerously the last few and like playing close games against teams like East Carolina. And, you know, I, I don't know if last week was just a, a correction and, but they were UTSA committed four turnovers in the first half. Yeah, that was more that on game. UTSA. It, it was, yeah. it was out of control for UTSA pretty much from the get go. So I don't know that last week is real instructive in terms of figuring out what happens this week, but they, you know, the team that scrapes by East Carolina scrapes by Tulsa. I, yeah, I, I think I may take, I think I'd take SMU in this game too, because if you're going to give me some points and, and really look at those games, Tulane one, you know, three point win East Carolina, two point win against rice, two point win against Tulsa. They've been living very dangerously and this is the best team they've played in a while. 100%. It's going to be the best pass rush, best secondary they've played. And I like Pratt, but I think he struggles against this defense. And that's the thing with Lashley. You know, it's funny. We're talking about these coaches. I mean, this is year two for Lashley at SMU. And known as an offensive guy, to have a defense playing this well, I, I just, to me, that's somebody I'd keep an eye on. Because year two, think about it. Kirby, who I know we're going to talk George and Bama, and that is such a good teaching moment as far as a perceptive number. And remember, the betting markets are driven by perception. And we'll get mm -hmm. to the Alabama-Georgia number here in a second. But I believe in year two, Kirby won 11. You know what? I think he won 11, 12 games in year two and hasn't looked back since. Remember, yeah, Kirby, Kirby went to the national title game in year two. Yeah, 13 wins. So yeah. national championship. Uh, again, I usually give a coach three years in college football just for that cycle to continue. But year two, I'm just looking at what La Lashley has done. And Willie Fritz, who's, I think he's 63 years old, so he's probably yeah. comfortable there at Tulane, but he's a hell of a coach as well. Well, no, I, I, I think he's, he'd, he'd be interested in Houston if they talked to him. Uh, if Lance Leipold were to leave Kansas for any reason, I know Willie would be interested in that one because that's, that's where he's from. So it's it's not entirely out of the question that Willie might get one of these jobs, but but you're right about Rhett. And you know, it's it's funny because Rhett was kind of the wonderkin. He was the OC at yes. Auburn's twenties. But I do think which we're talking about where they play good defense. I think that's one thing you learn when you come up at a place like Auburn 
and that's where Rhett spent a lot of his formative years with Gus Malzahn, they had to play great defense. Gus was an offensive guy, but they wouldn't survive in that division without playing great defense. And so I think Rhett has, has taken that and understands how to build a roster, understands how to, how to practice. And we talk about this with Lincoln Riley all the time. Like, does he, does he understand how to practice where you're going to give your defense a chance to learn to be physical and be physical down the stretch? Doesn't look like it. Rhett seems like they've got that sort of thing figured out. So uh, I, I'm with you. I think Rhett Lashley is, is going to be a hot name in the coaching carousel. If it's not this year, it'll be next year. Let's let's move on. Let's. Can I just follow up on one thing that you yeah, said? Go, there? go for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I apologize. This is your show. I apologize, Andy. And Listen, I you're you're so- you're a you're a main host. You, you you're used to driving the train. I understand. Andy and I have done so many shows together. We just interrupt each other. I will say this about you talked about defense. It's not necessarily a given just because of the Auburn system and Lashley. Now think about this, Jimbo. When Jimbo lost Elko, he went. It completely spiraled. Yes. Right. Elko with Elko, Jimbo was was very good at AM. Elko leaves and the program absolutely spirals. So not necessarily a given. And then just to piggyback on your point, just to put it on your radar, something weird is brewing here in Los Angeles with Lincoln Riley. It's yeah, weird. Oh yeah. You and oh I yeah. talked about it on the other show. Again, a lot of weird stuff has happened over the last 10 years. Sarkeesian got blessed. The dude got healthy. But we remember what happened with him. I'm telling you, it's only year two, but the but the Riley situation here in Los Angeles is starting to get weird. That's all I'll say. Just watch it. No, I, I'm I'm with you 100% because they're not recruiting in the way that I thought they, they would. They're not recruiting at the level I thought they would. And that part is a big red flag warning sign because it is it means that people are looking at the situation and going, Hmm. I don't know if that's great for yep. me long term. And, you know, maybe maybe he quiets it down. Maybe he has a good defensive coordinator hire. I think they're going to have to get a quarterback out of the portal for next season starting QB. Maybe we know a little more once we know who that is. But I, I'm with you. I think people are looking at it long term and saying, I don't see a bright future here. And I, I if you'd have told me that we'd be saying that two years after he took the job. Crazy. I, would, I, would, I would think you were nuts. I would. By the way, it's the best job in America. Like I, I'm not even a USC guy. No, the, best, the best job in America is Kentucky because they'll pay you $9 million a year and they won't try to fire you when you win seven games. I think you talked about it last night on your show. I, the the yeah. Stoops dalliance. It, I, I was legitimately floored. And nothing at this <laughs> point. It's, like, it's funny what you said about Auburn, Alabama. Because remember, Auburn closed Iron Bowl on Saturday. Uh, Alabama closed 13 and a half. Yeah. You came on my show and you're like, dude, don't worry. Like the number's ridiculous because crazy things happen here. I'm like, a school just paid Auburn millions to come in and wax them by 30 that we just talked about. And you're I went on your show and said that. And then I'm the dumbass who picked Alabama to cover on this show. Well, so. I just would like to say that you did caution me because I'm like, why am I not going to lay this price with Alabama? And you're like, because weird things happen in the Iron Bowl and touche. They certainly yeah. do. Well, and, 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 we had Jake Crane as the guest picker last week. Jake, lots of history with Auburn, knows the program very well. And he's like, Auburn's going to cover in this game. No question about it. And he, he was right. So let, let us move on to the, uh, to the Big 12 championship game, Oklahoma State against Texas. And this is one where Texas, the other day, against Texas Tech, looked like the team that we've 
expected Texas to be since they beat Alabama. We have not seen that every week. So I don't know what Texas we're getting. This Texas team is favored by 13 and a half. They are definitely two touchdowns better than Oklahoma State from a roster standpoint. 100%. That said, when Mike Gundy's coaching on the other sideline, I get a little worried. See, you said that kindly. What you meant to say was when Sarkeesian is coaching on the sideline where he's playing two touchdowns, you should be worried because these are the games that Sarkeesian coughs up all over himself. I'm not, I'm not as worried about Sark anymore. I I with you like going into the season, I would have said the same thing, but it's more, it's more of an appreciation of Gundy than doubts about Sark in this this situation. Mismatch and wits. I'm sorry. No offense, but Gundy does not again they were trailing to BYU in a game they had to have no like, big Texas time. Like, is, this is so not, much better than them from a roster offensively Texas hard. is like I I think I think Texas's defense has been slept on a little bit I whenever I watch them I'm like they are freaking loaded yeah the roster construct this isn't even close but there is a roster in college when it comes to outwitting uh, right now, the number's 14. Wow, fed up to 14. So, see, here's what happens, and this is just a quick one. If, if it's sitting 13 and a half, and then it moves to 14 for a better where I'm just betting numbers, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, that makes me think completely differently. Like, I'll take 14 with Oklahoma State. I'll probably start looking into the prop market or halftimes or different types of bets if it's sitting 13 and a half. Does it make right. sense? Because that's a key number of 14. So I will take right, because, the 14. Because teams win by 14 because that's two touchdowns Correct. and two extra probably, points. It yeah. comes down to probability. I mean, you go three again with the key numbers. So, yeah, I, right now, if I can get a 14, now if you can get a 14 and a half, which I do see in the market, you can you can find a 13 and a half. So if you want to lay with Texas, go ahead and lay the 13 and a half. And you can find a 14 and a half. We always talk about having multiple outs. That just simply means having opportunities to get money down at different books. You want to take the 14 and a half with Oklahoma State. So that's what I would do. Take 14 well, and a half. FanDuel is our sponsor, and they're at 13 and a half right now. And so if I have the opportunity to take Texas at 13 and a half, I am going to take Texas at 13 and a half. Because I, I don't know that the Texas Tech game necessarily was a – representation of texas has found itself they are going to be this team for the rest of the way but i do know that when texas is properly motivated and when they play as well as they can play they can beat any team in the country like it's funny because we we're so used to these years where there's nobody out there that can beat georgia or alabama or whoever it is we're talking about at the top texas can beat every team that it might see in the playoff if it makes the playoff on the right day can also lose to all of them. But that's why I, I think if these guys are, are truly ready to take that next step, they will thump Oklahoma State and put the best case scenario forward for the committee to figure out if they're going to make the playoff or not. Because remember, they need style points. They're not in if they win. Well, we can talk about the one-loss conference champs, that being Bama and Texas, if they both were to win. But I will say this. If you're talking about Texas and just the disparity in talent in Oklahoma State, well, how about BYU? When Ollie Gordon ran that touchdown in, there was I think there was less than a minute to go there. BYU came down and kicked the field goal to force overtime. Correct. If BYU in Stillwater, if BYU is moving the ball – in a big time leverage spot like that, what's Texas going to do? Again, it's a mismatch in coaching. I'll say you don't have 
did at the start, to be fair. Uh, so Gundy, but this is talent, talent-wise, Texas is right there with anybody in the country, which brings us to what you just said. If Bama were to win, and I know you talked about this last night, but if Bama yeah. and Texas were to both win, that, that it becomes fascinating. It really oh, does. Yeah. Because if the favorites went out, it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, Oregon, Washington, winner in Texas. That's what's going to happen. But if Bama wins, it becomes fascinating. It does. It does. Because all of a sudden, you have the head-to-head win from Texas in Tuscaloosa. You have two teams with the same record. And then it's not just the Alabama and Texas piece of that if Alabama wins. It's Georgia as well. Because all of a sudden, everybody's still getting compared to 12-1 and Georgia. And guess what? Your your friends in the desert are going to think they still think twelve and one Georgia can beat everybody in the playoff. They'd be favored over everybody. Yeah, so that's where it gets very complicated, and we'll talk about that in, in a in a minute when we get to the SEC championship game. But I want to before we do that, we'll be back with more Patrick Maher and more picks. But first, let me tell you about Roback. As you see, I am wearing my black performance hoodie. I've told you a million times. The Roback Performance Hoodie is the most comfortable piece of clothing known to man. It feels like second skin at this point. But I got to tell you, here in Michigan, very cold. I've been looking on Roback.com. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com at the Summit Fleece Pullover. It looks like you're wearing a hug. I need one of these things. You know what? I'm, I may go to Roback.com and use that promo code STAPLES to get 20% off my order because I think I need that Roback Performance Fleece. It looks like it would be amazing to wear in weather like you saw me in Clayton Safian earlier today. That is exactly what it was designed for. So go to Roback.com. Polos, hoodies, Q-zips, fleeces, joggers, shorts, Probably not shorts right now. Joggers. They got it all. And it's the most comfortable clothing you will ever put on your body. Roback.com, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Use that promo code STAPLES for 20% off your first order. I want to go to the ACC because that's a game where if Florida State wins this game, and as long as Georgia beats Alabama and doesn't cause that crazy scenario we were just talking about, Florida State will get into the playoff as a 13-0 team. They're going to get in as a 13-0 team. But are they going to win this game? We saw Tate Rodemaker once in a start, and that was against Florida, and it was much tighter than it should have been. We saw Louisville throw up all over themselves against Kentucky, and you kind of wonder, are they were they looking ahead to this? I think you get a better version of Louisville than we saw on Saturday, but I also think you're going to get a better version of Florida State now that they've had a full game Norvell calling plays for Rodemaker to, to figure out what, what they do best. Need I remind you, and as we sit here today, so again, this market could get manipulated. Louisville, Florida coming up on Saturday. So FanDuel showing three and a half. Florida State three and a half. Uh, DraftKings, for example, is showing Florida State three. The distinction between that toggled number of three and three and a half for betters, understand the yeah. key number is three. So yeah. we'll start there. But you have to remember the original purge for Jeff Brom, and this is what Brom does. Brom loses games he shouldn't, and he wins games he shouldn't as well. The original purge was when he went to Pitt and threw up all over himself, and that team lost to Pitt. Pitt is terrible. No offense. 
But oh. going to Pitt with everything to play for, because Louisville is one of the faster teams I've watched this year. I'll just say that. As far as speed, they're yeah. ridiculous. Good they pass should rush. be. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's actually quite a balanced team. Going to Pitt and losing in a big spot like that was gross, but he's done a hell of a job. I mean, they've cleared their season prediction as far as win total easily. And here they are in the ACC championship game. It's a great job. But you would agree with the Braum take, right? Remember at Purdue, uh-huh. there were games where it was just set up perfectly for him and his team wouldn't show up. And then games where they had no shot at being there. And all of a sudden he wins. He's, he's weird like that. I love him, but he's weird like that. Yeah, and this is one. I don't know that this is one they're not supposed to win. I think people. Just because of the quarterback situation. Yeah, the, yeah. The, line, the line tells you it's fairly even. I think Norvell's a hell of a coach. I thought Florida State should not have struggled with Florida the way they did. It did feel like that Mike Norvell and, and Tate Rodemaker were on a little better wavelength kind of from the eh, right before the half on. It felt offensively like, okay, now I understand how to get the ball to the weapons with this quarterback because you saw Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, all of a sudden were doing more. So I don't know that Louisville has any any answer for those receivers other than Jalot and Krieger hitting Rodemaker over and over. And if they can do that, then this will be a very interesting game. This one's hard for me because of the Braum factor. Yeah. I will say this. It I watched, and I'm not bitter, but obviously you can tell from my little rant there that I had Louisville at Pitt <laughs> and that antiseptic stadium where the Steelers play, which is ridiculous. I That kind of, I've been stale on them, but you nailed it. The number is telling you, and I guarantee I could text somebody right now, but I guarantee if I texted the sharp guys that I know in Vegas, they're all on Louisville in this matchup. I, I, I don't think, I think the talent as far as, like I mentioned, the speed, I didn't expect Brom to have that much when he got there in year one. They're really talented. Well, Scott Satterfield was pretty good at finding athletes. You know, Scott Satterfield came from Appalachian State where basically the job is find people who would who are fast enough to play in the SEC but are too small, basically. So I think he understood that that ethos. So that was the bones of the roster that, that Jeff Brom took over. And then Jeff Brom, who was playing in a very competitive league in the Big Ten, understood what he needed to bring in around that. And, yeah, I, I think it's uh, – I think it's pretty. I said Krieger. I mean Mason Rieger, by the way. Rieger, yeah, getting yeah. My, my my pass rushers mixed up. Um, but this is going to be a fascinating game. It is going to affect everything else. I was all set to pick Florida State. You brought up the Brom thing. I think I'm going to go with you on this. I think this is a Brom. This might be a, a Jeff Brom it's a, special. It's a Brom specialty. Yep. So I'm going to take Louisville in this game. Florida State may still win. I I, I get some points in this one, but. I I think you may be right about Jeff Brom here. Yeah, I'll take the three and a half at FanDuel with Louisville. But again, if I am laying it with Florida State, we're betters. So we're just going to keep coming back to that. Lay the three. Don't, three. don't lay the three and a half. It's very important. Yeah. All right. So let us go to the Big Ten. We got to pick the uh, the spread and the total <laughs> here because on this show, we pick the Iowa total every week. Uh, the Iowa under this season is uh, 10 and 2. So... I I blew it against Illinois, Patrick. I uh, I picked the over. Why? I, I, because 
Illinois had just thrown for 500 yards. I felt like my man Deacon Hill at Iowa was about to have a big game against Illinois secondary. And uh, yeah, 15-13. So this one right now, Michigan, Iowa is sitting 23 as far as the side. The total is 35 and a half. Just for perspective, Michigan scores 38.3 a game. Okay, yeah. just to give you an idea of what we're dealing right. with here. Um, this is a mismatch. Now, Iowa's going to find out next year how tough the Big Ten is when legit teams start combined, start getting involved um, in their division. Are they still going to do the wacky divisions moving no divisions. forward? When it's, no divisions. Thank, so. thank God. I, that drives me freaking crazy. Do you remember in 2021, the Big Ten championship game, what happened? This was Iowa v. Michigan. In- oh, yeah. It was it was a blowout. And and here's this is where, where I'm going with this, with the spread and with the total. So the total is 35 and a half. So uh, Michigan favored by 22 and a half at FanDuel, 23 and some other places. What we're talking about is a 29 to 6 game. That That is that is what we're talking about. Michigan, I think, is going to score more than that. I think here's what happens with Iowa. Iowa's defense is great. It is incredibly well coached by Phil Parker. They don't have an abundance of special athletes. They did have one really great one in Cooper DeGene, who is out after getting hurt at practice a couple weeks ago. The problem when they play teams that have some special athletes, or in Michigan's case, a lot of special athletes, it's totally different. Being in the right place doesn't matter when you just get beat by a better player. And so when you're playing as Wisconsin, when you're playing as Nebraska, being in the right place is all you got to be. But against Ohio State or against Michigan, sometimes it doesn't matter if you're in the right place. You just get beat. So 2021, Michigan closed 12. They were mm-hmm. laying 12. They beat up on Iowa 42-3. to that yep. offense in 21 of Iowa was freaking prolific compared to this offense. Remember yes. that offense, yep. they went to co- college park. They went to Maryland and, and dropped 51 on them. This team. Well, they, there were pick sixes in that game. So, okay. To be fair, look up <laughs> and down that season. They were a much better offense. So I I'm just con- contextualizing. If you're nervous about the 23, 23 and a half, you have to start breaking this down from a betting perspective in quarters and halves. What will Michigan do? Because this is not about the Big Ten championship game for Michigan. This is about redemption once they get to the final four. Are they going to be the villain the story that everybody's trying to build in the Great Lakes State? This is this has not like they're going to beat Iowa. Now, the question is, what do you do with this from a betting perspective? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bet the first quarter. I'm going to lay five and a half with Michigan in the first quarter. I think this is a half. I think this game comes down to the first half. I'll tell you what the half line is. You, you want to take a stab at that just for fun, just for practice? So the game total is, excuse me, the game line is 23 and a half. You want to take a stab at the first half line? Michigan by 13. You, you generally just cut it in half. It's 13 and a half Michigan. The okay. first quarter line is five and a half. What I do is expect Michigan, who's overwhelmingly better, uh, that run game is going to be fine against Iowa. I'd expect them to jump out to an early lead. You can see this going to obviously the second quarter, Michigan up seven, nothing, Michigan up 10, nothing. I was not going to score. Well, right. It's not just, Iowa's not going to score. Here's where, where the total comes in for me, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's the total or first half total or even a first half or, or first quarter spread, 
is are they going to force Iowa to throw an interception that, that gives Michigan the ball on the Iowa six yard line? Like, are they going to give Michigan some cheap, easy points? That's the question. And that's really what this comes down to. If they give Michigan cheap, easy points, it, it goes over Michigan covers and all of your, your props hit. If they don't, if they, if they somehow the ball does not end up in Michigan's hands and Tory Taylor gets to punt it, then maybe you're under hits. Maybe. Well, let me ask you this. What was the difference between Michigan and Ohio State? Oh, it's very simple. It's two interceptions in special teams. Correct. Ohio that's, State's what, terrible that's what I'm worried about. That, so I, I'm going to take Michigan to cover, and I am going to take the over in this game. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because we're laying 23 and a half in a championship game. Iowa, would you please get the hell out of the way? Okay, that <laughs> number closed. That number staples closed 25 and a half Iowa-Nebraska. You know what it did? Yeah. Stayed under 13-10. Unbelievable. I know. 25 I and know. a half is a historically low number. Well, 35 and a half. I'm still going to go under. I'm sorry because Michigan is absolutely going to – they're going to be just like the Dallas Cowboys. They're going to be eating chicken on the sidelines in the fourth quarter. <laughs> it was turkey. Same thing. <laughs> Stashed in the Salvation Army kettle. Dude, you know what? You know what's so classic about the disrespect to put forethought into the disrespect to put forethought <laughs> into the blowout was the Dallas exactly. Cowboy, and then Del Rio got canned the next day. But anywho, uh, I go well, under. I'd also lay it, but again, I'm looking for an alternative here, so I'll lay the five and a half in the first quarter with Michigan as well. Let us go to the most interesting game of the weekend, the one that. A certain result will give the whole world a shake-up. It'll be like shaking the snow globe. Alabama, Georgia. Oh, really? I didn't realize we were going to talk about that one. Oh, yeah. So, Georgia favored by five and a half. This one is so fascinating to me, Patrick, because of what happened two years ago. Alabama, two years ago, coming off a four-overtime game against a pretty blah Auburn team. Goes in against a Georgia team that is was better than Alabama. Objectively speaking, Georgia was definitely better that year. And they proved it. And, right. Eventually. They didn't prove it in Atlanta because that's, that's Alabama true. beat Georgia pretty handily in Atlanta that year. This Georgia team, not as dominant defensively, defensively as that Georgia team. I think probably a little better offensively than that Georgia group. Uh, this Alabama team does not have a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, but they do have, I think, a very good secondary, I think a, a defense that can make some stuff happen. And that's the question. Is Carson Beck still throwing darts against Alabama's defense the way he was against the Ole Miss defense, the way he was against the Tennessee defense? Because if he is, I don't know that Alabama has much of a chance here. But if Alabama can, can disrupt him somewhat, then we got something interesting going. So let's start with 2021 in Atlanta, right where you started. We'll start there, then we'll move forward to this year's number. So do you remember, Bama beat up on Georgia 41-24. Georgia was laying six in that game, Andy. Mm -hmm. So Saban is 4-1 and one against Smart. This number, let me ask you a question. Georgia, Alabama this year. Georgia, who's won 45 of 46 games, their last loss was in 21 in that championship game, which we discussed. Yes, Bama has won 10 straight after the loss to Texas. This number is hilarious. It's five. FanDuel, your book is showing five and a half right now. Let me ask you this. 
Why is Georgia only laying five and a half points, yet Oregon is laying close to 10 against Washington, who hasn't lost in 19 games? Think about that. It's perception. The public loves to bet Nick Saban. The public loves to bet teams they know, teams they care about. And Georgia obviously is one of them. But this is a perception game. This number is way too short. Georgia is an absolutely beat up on Alabama. Don't look at the last game against Georgia Tech. Remember, McConkie didn't play. Rob Rob Thomas didn't play. Brock Bowers right. didn't play. And that was mm-hmm. Carson Beck's worst game of the year. I think he's going yeah, to be That's amazing when you take your three best receivers off the field. I would say, I was going to ask you, those have got to be their, their, their three best offensive players, yes. right? McIntosh maybe, but um, this is Bama's but, least dynamic team in a decade. Well, yeah, Dijon Edwards, uh, Dylan Bell, but yeah, I think I think you're right about that. And the thing about Georgia, when when they have those three guys playing, when they had when when Carson Beck has his full complement, it's very hard to to figure out how to defend them. Even if you're Nick Saban, even if you have the level of talent that you have on your defense, and and I'm also curious because everybody says, oh, Kirby Smart doesn't do well against running quarterbacks, and Jalen Milrow can run Stop. around. Jalen Milrow is never going to have the amount of time that he had on the Gravedigger play at the end of the Auburn game. He will never have that long to throw. And you have to get after him if you're Georgia. And this is the, the 21 games interesting to me, Patrick, because I felt like Kirby went into that game with a very conservative defensive game plan. If you watch them, they were rushing for almost every time they would run some stunts, but they weren't doing a lot of stuff in terms of pressure to really get Bryce young off his spot. When they played again, they heated him up and it was like, Oh, you were trying to be as vanilla as possible and just beat them because you were better and not show your potential playoff opponents. What, what you can do. And so I don't think they make that mistake this time. You've got to heat up Jalen Milrow. You've got to keep him, from getting loose because like if Jalen Milrow drops back, you're in man, everybody's covered. He's going to gain 20 yards on the ground. Like you got to have somebody who can go get him. You cannot let him sit back there. Or the other thing about Jalen and and this is where Jalen Miller is an interesting, interesting quarterback because usually when you have the guy who can run really well, he's not a great deep ball thrower. Jalen Milrow is a great deep ball thrower. As you saw on that last play. Yes. 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 So it's the, it's the short and intermediate stuff that he struggles with. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what you have to throw if you're being blitzed? Short and intermediate stuff. Very RG3-like, to use a comparison. Yeah. Remember, he struggled intermediate-wise, but he could throw a beautiful deep ball and was very elusive. Mm-hmm. What I love. Now, first off, I'm just going to tell you, I'm betting Georgia. This number is short. And gu- yeah. in gambling parlance, you look at a number, you go, that feels short to me. Feels short. The other one feels long. That's a heavy number, Washington, Oregon. That, that's just kind of give you my thought process. Okay, and back to this. The angle that's interesting here is Saban's got to coach him up. He's a dog. Like, he's generally – everything's on him. It's fascinating. I, I had never thought about what you said about Kirby. Kirby playing a little bit of chess in 21 by not showing a ton, knowing he was going to get in even if they had lost. That's fascinating to me. I don't think he makes that same mistake again. I think, look, we're it, this is the fourth and 31 is all we've been talking about since Saturday. And now you're going against a team that McConkie's going to play. Thomas is going to play. Bauer's going to play. They're going to be fine. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm with you here. I had to issue an apology video after that 2021 game because I, I was so sure Georgia's going to win, going to cover. I said I got I wound up in the Alabama hype video that they showed the players up. before the game because I was so adamant that Georgia was going to beat them. I think I said something like, there's no way Alabama wins this game. And so after that, I got a little gun shy about picking against Nick Saban in situations like this. But I think you're right in that, one, this feels low. Two, it felt like Georgia sandbagged last week. I don't think they will sandbag this because because let's talk about the playoff scenario again. If they lose, I I think the committee would still put Georgia in. But if Washington wins and Florida State wins, and you have two thirteen or three thirteen and zero conference champs, and Alabama as your twelve and one SEC champ, and Texas as a 12 and one big 12 champ that beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Where's the room for Georgia in there? So Kirby's probably looking at this as a must win that maybe stuff doesn't happen. That gets you into the playoff. Otherwise you have to win here. Kirby was sandbagging. Did you see the quote after the Georgia tech win? They said, were you caught looking ahead? He goes, what are you talking about? We just played for the state championship. Okay. Settle down Kirby. (laughs) Kirby. Listen, He's got, some, he, he's got a lot of Bainbridge in him. A lot of Bainbridge. Calvin Johnson ain't walking through that door, Kirby. Let's just <laughs> take it easy with Georgia Tech, okay? And then secondly, what's fascinating is we've been doing this for a while with the committee, and we go to 12 next year. If Florida State wins, just to be fair, Florida State wins, obviously that would be the first time the committee ever left an undefeated major conference team out. That's the rub here. Mm-hmm. The committee does not want Florida State in the mix. And I, I, I'm not going to get into all that with you. I just talk about numbers. But it, I know you guys fought about it yesterday. Yeah. It would be a disastrous scenario. The committee of Alabama wins. I'm going to tell you this that people may not understand. A lot of this comes down to what happens in Vegas and ratings and numbers and all of that. Nick Saban is going to be in the Final Four. <laughs> that is a lock. <laughs> right and Nick, the question, not Alabama Nick Saban is going to right the final and, four. And, and that pulls Texas into it too because if Texas is 12 and one and Alabama is 12 and one and Texas beat Alabama they're in there too which you don't know what happens to Georgia so again Georgia is in in a back against the wall must win you don't want to be left out when you know you're probably the best team in the country like they're gonna pull out all the stops in this one I also will take Georgia Patrick, holy cow. This, did we learn this something? Was amazing. Hey, is, did I you did. check? Is uh, Shane Beamer still the South Carolina Gamecock head coach? Let me just be clear before we say goodbye. Steve Spurrier won 11 games three years in a row in Columbia. Mm-hmm. You can win there. Just that's all. That's all. I'm well, I, I will point this out. I say this a lot, and I have actually said this to him. This, the coaching job Steve Spurrier did at South Carolina is better than the coaching job he did at Florida. And well, he was amazing close. at Florida. Yeah. Funny. But, South Carolina means nothing on the college football map. Literally nothing. And they've continued to mean nothing after Steve Spurrier left. Well, we'll, we'll find out. I, I am very confident that Shane Beamer will be your alma mater's coach next year. Whether he's your alma mater's coach in 2025 is entirely up to him right now. So uh, that that is that is my prediction. You can go ahead and uh, and put some money on that one uh, with your with your friends in Vegas. Patrick Maher, the host of Sharp Money on the Vegas Sports and Information Network. 
He's a close personal friend of Brent Musburger's, which makes him awesome. That's right. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Andy.